Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, good morning. Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. You may be seated. Uh, you, you might have noticed if you're a regular, our setup is a little bit different today. And our order of service is a little bit different today. Well, it's, it's become our new norm for fifth Sundays, and today is the fifth Sunday of July. So our normal order of service is we sing and we partake of Lord's Supper um, occasionally, and then later in the service we have our sermon. Uh, today we are intentionally uh, kind of mingling the speaking and meditating on the cross and singing about the cross and partaking of the elements. Um, so your, your bulletin kind of walks you through the whole thing, you can see, um, I'm going to speak now for a little bit. We're going to serve the bread and partake of that. And then um, after that song is when child care will begin for those uh, two through five. And so if you guys want to watch for that point, you're welcome to keep your children with you. If you do want to use child care, it'll be available right outside uh, the back door there. When we come to the elements, they will be passed out, and you can partake of those at any point once you have them. We won't come back together to take them, everybody at the same time. You can take them uh, as we sing those songs. Why don't you open your Bibles to Luke 22. Luke 22 is um, one place where the institution, by that I mean the starting of the Lord's Supper, is, is recorded for us. It's one of my favorites because it explains it a bit more thoroughly than uh, Mark or Matthew. But before we read that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us. Thank you that we have the privilege of being your children and we have the privilege of remembering and proclaiming the death of our Lord today. And it is that death through which we become your children, we become the family of God uh, we are made citizens of the kingdom of God and ambassadors of King Jesus, and we are grateful. And I ask that as we uh, focus on what you have done and what you have accomplished, and as we sing about it, and as we hold and partake of the elements that remind us of the cost of our redemption, um, our desire for all of that is that we would make much of you, Jesus. We want you to be honored this morning. And so we ask that you would work um, in, in my words and in the songs that we sing and in the thoughts and meditations of our hearts and minds to be greatly honored in ways that we can't do on our own. We love you and we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Luke 22, 14 through 20. I'm going to read that if you want to follow along. It says, And when the hour had come, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. But why? What, what came out of that? Well, there, there are entire books that have been written on that topic. And we didn't get the coffee going in time this morning to fuel you up. So we're not going to unpack the fullness 
of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But we're going to focus on, on one particular thing. One thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross that has incredible benefits for us. So we're going to focus on one thing that Jesus accomplished and then three benefits that we have received out of that later in the service. Um, but here's the thing that he accomplished. He brought us into his kingdom. He brought us into his kingdom. He accomplished many things, but that is an amazing one that we're going to focus on this morning. At the top of your bulletin on the inside is Colossians 1, 13 to 14. Why don't you look at that with me? Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These verses tell us what happened, and they tell us how it happened. The what happened is that we were transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God. That is what happened. And the how is through Jesus' redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. We have a what and we have a how. And we're going to unpack the how first, and then we're going to talk about the what after that. What God has accomplished, the how, the means through which he accomplished it, is the redemption and forgiveness. Jesus accomplished those for us. Redemption is a buying back. So if um, a slave could be redeemed out of slavery, purchased back into freedom, but there was a cost and payment had to be made. And when that payment was made, the slave was free. He was redeemed. If you take something to a pawn shop and leave it there, you have the option of going back and redeeming it, of paying its value and receiving it back. Our offense against God, our rebellion has a price that has to be paid. The wages of sin is death. God gets to set the price. The price is death. Not just physical death, because we know that happens. It did come out of sin. That is one of the consequences. But spiritual death also. Separation from God. Absolute separation from God is what spiritual death is. And that is part of the consequence of sin. So if we are going to be redeemed out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of life, that price has to be paid. Someone has to be fully separated from God to experience the spiritual death that we deserve, that is the payment that is required for our offense against God. And we can together say, praise God, that on the cross, Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, we get a glimpse of the fact that Jesus, the Son, one of the Trinity, is now fully separated from the Spirit and the Father. And he, has, he is enduring that spiritual death, the separation from God. And as that happens, the wrath, the righteous anger from God that you and I have earned today and yesterday and the day before, and by our very nature as sinners. All of that wrath was poured out on Jesus. Instead of on you and me, it went to Jesus. And when he had absorbed the full wrath of God, and when he endured the separation from God, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Payment was made. And he died having accomplished the redemption that he set out to do. We have been redeemed. 
And because the price for our offense has been paid, we can be forgiven. God is too just to look upon a sinner and say, I'm not going to punish that one, but I'm going to punish this one. When the wages of sin is death, the wages of sin is death for everybody. God doesn't pick and choose whether punishment is going to be doled out for offense. Punishment is doled out for offense. The matter is whether you and I are going to receive that punishment or whether Christ already received that punishment. And because Christ already received that punishment, you and I can be forgiven. Jesus, the Father looks upon us because of the work of Jesus. He can look at you and I and say, we have no outstanding business. You don't owe me anything for what you did. Jesus paid it all. Finished. We are forgiven. That is how God accomplished this amazing thing through Jesus. Redemption, payment for our sins, purchasing us back out of that rebellion, and then wiping the slate clean and removing our sins through forgiveness. The second thing is what did he accomplish in our sinfulness uh, before God applies Jesus' salvation to us in time and place? So there's a time and place in history when redemption occurred on the cross, and there's a time and place in history for each of us where God applies that redemption to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Before that is applied to us, we are rebels. We are rebels against God. As creator, as owner of the entirety of the universe, God is king before he is anything else. And because he is king, the nature of our offense against him is that we are outlaws. We are outlaws living under the domain of darkness and death and devastation. That is who we are until God applies the salvation of Jesus to us. And at that moment, when he applies the salvation, we are rescued, we are redeemed out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. And we go from being outlaws and rebels to being subjects and family. Subjects of King Jesus and family of God. That's an amazing thing. That is what God has accomplished. That's the transaction that took place. The redemption of Jesus isn't just this concept that we sing about and we're, we're glad for. It is those things, for sure. But the redemption of Jesus is a very practical matter in which the debt that we owed God for our rebellion and our offense against him is paid for fully. The guilt of our sins is washed away and we are transferred from being outlaws and rebels under the domain of darkness to subjects and family in the kingdom of God. That is what God has accomplished. KBC, God accomplished that for you and for me through Jesus. And so we gather at the Lord's table today, and we gather together. We partake individually and together because, yes, this work of God has been individually applied to us, but God has chosen to gather us into a local body as an image here and now of his eternal body, of the fact that we are with him forever as his redeemed people. 
And so um, what God has accomplished is he brought us out of the domain of darkness into his kingdom. How he accomplished that is through the redemption of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. Those are amazing things, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we move through the morning. I'm going to ask the men that are serving uh, the elements to come forward, and we're going to start with the bread, and as we sing, the bread will be passed out, and you can partake as you receive it. You can hold on to it for a little bit if you would like, um, and then after we sing a couple songs, I'll be back up, and we'll continue uh, reflecting on what God has accomplished and how he did that, but Let's pray, and then the bread will be passed out. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for redeeming us. Thank you that you chose to not leave us in the domain of darkness, rebels and outlaws, at the whim of death and destruction, but that you chose to bring us into your kingdom under the good rule of our gracious God who sacrifices his son to pay for our offense. What a joy to be under your rule, God. We are so grateful. And thank you so much for the cost that you paid through the life and death of your son Jesus so that that transaction can take place. So as we sing and as we partake, I ask that you would be greatly glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. We are redeemed out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. If we're honest, though, the kingdom of God can be a rather murky subject that we don't quite know what to do with. So instead of spending far more time than we have making the kingdom of God crisp, we are going to talk about three benefits that we receive as citizens of the kingdom of God, as members of of the family of God. God has accomplished an amazing work. And so we're going to pick just three of the benefits that we receive in the process so that we can have kind of a tangible evidence of what God has accomplished so that as we continue singing and meditating, um, I desire for our gratitude to be concrete, to not just say, thank you, Jesus, but to say, thank you, Jesus, for accomplishing this and this and this. That's, that's our goal as we move forward. There's three benefits that we uh, want to talk about, and those are peace, resources, and security. Peace, resources, and security. Let's start with peace. Open your Bibles to Romans. If you grabbed a red Bible from the back, it's uh, page 942. You will find Romans 5. We're going to read a couple of verses from that, and after quite thoroughly explaining the fact that we are justified, we are made right with God uh, solely by faith in Jesus, what we are about to read is the first implication, the first kind of so what that Paul uh, explains. So Romans 5, 1 and 2, if you'd like to follow along. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. KBC, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we have peace with God. That is a great moment to just kind of sigh and relax into the goodness of our relationship with God. It is done. It is finished. But even as we unpack peace, there's, there's different sorts of peace, right? So what sort of peace do we have with God? Is it, for example, similar to the peace between countries? Uh, we are technically not at war with Mexico. We are experiencing legal peace with Mexico. And yet, if you look at our news and our social media, I don't think we could say that the entirety of our society is, is enjoying a solid relationship with Mexican society. That is just not what we are experiencing. And so the state of legal peace that we enjoy with Mexico is, is not necessarily um, what we hope is the definition of our peace with God. Because there is peace, but there is still conflict. So we hope that the peace that Paul is talking about is better than country-to-country -country legal peace. Maybe if we look inside our country, uh, American citizens are not at war with each other. We have not been since the Civil War. Uh, thank God for that, literally. Um, so maybe, maybe that's what Paul is talking about, the kind of peace that we enjoy as, as American citizens. But then one segment of our society just gathered in Cleveland, then another part in Philadelphia. And if you listen to those two parts, there's not necessarily peace between the two. And so, again, we enjoy legal peace, but there's a definite presence of conflict there. So hopefully there's more than that. Maybe it's uh, uh, an affinity thing. Like, if you live in the Midwest, you're at peace with each other. Which is generally true unless it's football season and you're from Illinois and your friend's from Wisconsin, and then there's not peace. So we're still hoping that the peace that we have with God is, is greater than, than those. Each morning when it's time for Shannon, our 10-month-old daughter, to, to get up, she and I have some daddy-daughter time. And so she helps me get the coffee going, and then we stand on the front porch and we survey the neighborhood and make sure that everything is the way that it's supposed to be, and she waves to the trees. And uh, then when the coffee's ready, we go get coffee. Well, I get coffee. She just kind of hangs out in my arm. And then we sit down on the floor and we play for a little bit. And... Um, during that time, she will sometimes kind of leave what she's doing and crawl over and get up in my lap and hang out for a few seconds and then continue exploring. Um, or sometimes I will scoop her up into my lap and hold on to her for the few seconds that I can keep her still. And at that moment, there is no conflict between us. There's absolute peace between little Shannon and me. And I think it, that moment gives us a glimpse. We're more in the ballpark of the kind of peace that we have with God. At that moment when Shannon and I are having our, our little moment, um, there's no negative connotations. There's nothing that could improve in that moment. Now, it's possible if her diaper explodes, she will experience a momentary separation, but it's not a relational conflict. It's just a momentary separation. Having children is costly. Every parent knows that, whether it is the hospital bill that you paid for, for the delivery, or whether it is the 3 a.m. stumble down the hall to calm an anxious child, or whether it is letting an older child experience the consequences of a decision they've made that you know is the wrong decision and you know is going to be hard. But that's part of parenting. However, also part of parenting is knowing 
that those costs that you pay along the way are really inconsequential to the joy and the relationship that you have with the child. When Shannon is cuddled up on my lap, I'm not thinking about the check we wrote the hospital. The cost is not on my mind. That's closer to the peace that we have with God. But I want to I make it clear this way. In our relationship with God, there is no room for improvement. That's what the peace that we have with God means. There is no room for improvement. Things could not get better between us. Now, we still sin, and we still experience the consequences of our sin. But our experience of that sin is just a momentary separation, like when Shannon's diaper explodes. It's not a relational break. Our relationship with God could not be better than it is right now. And what's more, our relationship with God cannot deteriorate from that place of perfection. Right? Praise God. Our relationship with God could not get better than it is right now, and it could not deteriorate from that place of perfection. Why is that? The reason that that is the case is because our relationship with God depends 100% on who Jesus is and what he accomplished, and 0% on who you and I are and what we do and don't do. Our relationship with God depends 100% on what Jesus already did and on who he is, and 0% on who we are and what we do. We do not have the ability to purchase a relationship with God. We do not have the ability to improve our relationship with God, and we actually don't have the ability to ruin our relationship with God. We have peace with God. It is legal. It is relational. It is eternal. Our peace with God cannot be changed. The entirety of our peace with God was purchased for us by Jesus. So the first benefit that we have as being uh, citizens of the kingdom of God rather than being under the domain of darkness, the first benefit is that we have this absolute eternal peace with God. We cannot improve our relationship with him. We cannot deteriorate our relationship with him. Our relationship with God rests 100% on the completed, unchanging work of Jesus. And that is awesome. We can celebrate that. When we, when we think of the cost that Jesus paid, we grieve at the cost and we rejoice knowing that we have an unchanging peace with God as a result of that. The second benefit that we receive um, is resources. Now, as we enjoy life in the kingdom of God, um, as the redeemed of God, there are uh, moments and opportunities that, that God puts before us. He has us walk through life very intentionally. And it can often feel like we don't have what it takes for the situations that we find ourselves in. But because of the finished work of Jesus, we have every resource that we need for every moment that God chooses to put us in. Now, when I talk about resource, I'm not talking about money or food or shelter that we purchase with those. There are a lot of godly people around the world and throughout history who have gone without food and shelter. 
So that's not the resource that we're talking about. In fact, um, why don't you open your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, if you grabbed a Bible from the back, it's on page 1018. 2 Peter 1. And the Apostle Peter wrote this letter to uh, persecuted Christians, people that as they clung to their allegiance to Jesus, as they said, Jesus is Lord and no one else, and we are worshiping no one else, the marketplace was closed to them. Business was closed. It was very hard for them to buy and sell and trade and do business so that they could have income to feed their families. So to people, to dads who couldn't go to work and make an income to feed their children, and to moms who couldn't clothe and feed their children adequately, and to children with parents who weren't taking care of them in that way, that is who Peter writes these words to. He says this in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Through Jesus, we have access to everything that pertains to life and godliness. Through Jesus, through the redeeming work of Jesus that we remember and that we proclaim today, you and I have access to everything that we could possibly need for life and godliness. So whatever situations God chooses to put you in tomorrow and the day after and the day after, he has already also given you everything that you need to walk through that way, that moment, in a way that honors him. We don't have to wonder if we have what it takes for where God chooses to put us. Now, we do need to exercise wisdom, right? Because we are not all made the same way. We don't all have the same passions and skills and desires and training and background. And so um, if we decided as a church that we should have a um, uh, let's fix cars for people kind of ministry, um, that would not be my thing. I don't think we can buy a liability insurance policy large enough to cover me using tools, that is not how I would serve. So we need to be wise about who God made us. But when you recognize who God made you, and when you walk into a situation that he very purposefully put you in, you can be sure that you have everything that you need to honor him and to represent him well at that moment. You know that saying, out of sight, out of mind. I'm afraid that we often... Um, that's often the case for us in terms of the indwelling Holy Spirit. When, when in, in time in history, when God applies the salvation of Jesus to us and makes us his children, uh, at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. So let's not blow by that. We have the Spirit of the living God within us. Within you and within me is God himself dwelling in spirit. That is amazing. That is so amazing that if you track the apostles' teaching through Acts, you realize they can't talk about the good news without also saying, oh, by the way, when you believe, you get the Holy Spirit. They cannot, they cannot grasp the concept of good news that doesn't involve and include the indwelling Spirit of God. That was just a huge thing for them. 
In Ephesians 1, uh, the Apostle Paul presents the Holy Spirit as down payment, as the guarantee of the fact that God is going to keep his promise to us. We have the Spirit of the God that spoke nothing into something and formed it into this world in which we live, the God who gave each one of us life and who keeps the sun shining and who thankfully gave people the wisdom to invent air conditioning, that God, his spirit, lives within us. And he directs our paths, so he's going to put us in situations where he wants us to make Jesus tangible. And we have the promise that we have everything we need for life and godliness in those moments. So KBC, the second benefit that we have received by being transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God by the redeeming work of Jesus is resources. We have everything we need for life and godliness. The third and last benefit we're going to look at is security. And again, just as the resources that we have in abundance through God um, are not necessarily the resources that this world values, the security that we have through God is not necessarily the security that this world values values. We're not promised safety. We're promised an inheritance that is unfading and imperishable. Why don't you flip a little bit to the left in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, sorry, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, I'm going to read. And keep in mind, again, this passage was written by the apostle who denied Jesus to people that couldn't feed their families because they were not denying Jesus. That's who this passage is written by and to. And, and this is what Peter says. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a power-packed passage for sure, but catch this. The resurrection of Jesus is the source of our hope and our future. The resurrection of Jesus is a source of our hope and our future. The full power of God that secured our redemption through Jesus that raised Jesus from the dead when that work was completed, that full power is now engaged in guarding the inheritance that we're going to get and in making sure that we get from where we're at to receive that inheritance. Think about that. The power of God that punished Christ completely for our sin and then said satisfied and raised him from the dead is now at work making sure that you and I make it through this broken world to receive our inheritance that nobody gets to touch. Nobody gets to touch it. Brothers and sisters, in this world, sometimes suffering and death is how God guards our souls to get us to that inheritance. Sometimes, Suffering and death are tools in his hand to accomplish that. Suffering and death are not proof that God is slipping up. They're tools in his hand. And so our security doesn't mean safety and comfort here and now, 
Our security means that our destination is secure and our journey is sure. God knows exactly how he's going to get you from where you are at to your inheritance in heaven, and you don't have to worry about that. I'm very confident in God's ability to kill me before I abandon the faith. He can do that if he needs to, to make sure that we get from where we are at to our inheritance. He's not going to let us fail. He's not going to fail in that. We have that security because of the work of Jesus. Our path now is secure, and our future is secure because of the redemption purchased for us by Jesus. So to recap, three things for us to have concrete gratitude about as we sing, as we partake of the cup, concrete gratitude for the fact that we have peace with God. There is no room for improvements in our relationship with God. There is no capacity to to damage our relationship with God. We have absolute peace with God. We have resources. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. God has promised his spirit lives within us. There is nothing that we can need to follow him well that we don't already have. And we have security. The full power of God that secured our redemption through the death of Jesus is now at work making sure that we journey safely through this broken world to receive the inheritance that nobody can touch and nobody can take away from us. We have security. So we're going to pray and then uh, the cup is going to get passed out. And um, as that happens, by the way, men that are serving, if you could come forward, as you are um, holding that cup of of blood-colored juice and as we sing and as we meditate, have concrete gratitude for specifically what God has accomplished for us through Jesus. Even as you hold the cup that reminds us of the price paid. It's a costly thing that God has done. And it's an amazing thing that he has accomplished. And we get to hold both of those together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the completed work of Jesus. Thank you that the state of our relationship with you does not hinge on our performance, but has been fully settled on the perfect life of Jesus, the death in my place, and the mighty resurrection to secure our future and our present. Thank you that through being washed clean, we are able to to now be temples of the living God to house the spirit of God within us so that we can walk through life not buffeted, not wondering, but knowing that we have access to every resource that we need for life and godliness. And thank you so much that the full power that accomplished our our, our redemption and brought about the resurrection of Jesus is now at play making sure that we journey securely through this broken world to arrive at the inheritance that you have promised for us and that no one and nothing can take away. And thank you so much for accomplishing all of that through Jesus, whom we worship and in whose name we pray. Amen. We have these three amazing things that Jesus has secured uh, through his redemption as he redeemed us out of the domain of darkness 
into the kingdom of God, and we have these three amazing benefits that we've talked about. We have peace with God. We have every resource that we could possibly need for life and godliness. And we have absolute security in the fact that God is going to get us through this broken world and that he is going to get us to the inheritance that he has prepared for us. Three amazing benefits that we have received. And I want to close our time with just a practical way that each of those connects to life tomorrow and the day after. Because ultimately, these amazing things that we are talking about um, are intended to shape how we live tomorrow and the day after, not just how we feel when we gather. We certainly should worship joyfully when we gather, and we should live different tomorrow as well. So three practical, practical take-homes. First, in relation to our, our peace with God, our relationship with him is such that there is no room for improvement, and we have no capacity to harm that relationship. That is what God has accomplished. And yet we often find ourselves working through life and rather easily or confidently knowing, okay, my future, my eternity has been set by what God has accomplished through Jesus. There is no change in that. I realize that. I'm grateful for that. But right now, I haven't read my Bible in three days, and I barked at my wife, and so I think that God is in a bad mood towards me. We can, that's how we can live. We recognize the truth of the eternal work of Jesus as something future, and yet then we turn around in our day-to-day life, our perceived relationship with God, the experience of our relationship with God, begins to depend on what we are doing. It's not on purpose, it just happens to us. And so a very practical takeaway is that our present, the present state of our relationship with God, our interactions with God, his perspective on us, his mood towards us, our reaction to him should not be defined by our performance here and now. Because our relationship with God does not hinge on our performance here and now. Our relationship with God hinges on the completed work of Jesus. When he said, it is finished, our relationship with God was set. It was defined. And so don't fall into the trap tomorrow and the day after of deciding how close you are to God or how happy he is with you or whether he's going to bless you or withhold blessing based on your performance. That's not how it works. God has already accomplished absolute perfect peace through the death of Jesus Christ. Redemption is secured. We are forgiven. There is no room for improvement in our relationship with God. We have no capacity to damage it. Let that truth settle how you live this week, how you interact with God, how you open the Bible, how you pray, how you talk with others, how you respond to your sin and failure, and how you respond to others' sin and failure. Let that be defined by the fact that you and they have absolute peace with God through the finished work of Jesus. You aren't going to improve your your relationship with God. You aren't going to hurt your relationship with God. We're not that powerful. Jesus established it. He is that powerful. In terms of 
the resources that we have access to in God as his people, be confident. If we really believe that God is sovereign, that he controls this world, which is what the Bible explains to us, and if we really believe that we have been fully redeemed, that we have been moved out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God, that we are family of God, that his spirit lives within us, then there is no moment that God is going to bring you into that he hasn't equipped you for. Now, it might not feel like you're equipped, and that's okay. He keeps us dependent. So the feeling of dependence is not a failure. But backing away from opportunities that God lays before you because you don't think you're equipped, I think that, that is a sinful moment that needs to be confessed. Because if the Spirit of God is living within us, and if God is controlling our lives, then whenever, wherever God chooses to put you tomorrow and the day after, whatever opportunities he chooses to give you to make Jesus tangible to someone, he has equipped you for. And he's probably equipped you in a way that he hasn't equipped me or anyone else. God chose to have you in that moment, and his spirit is within you. And so we can walk through the very uncertain moments of life that we have as followers of Jesus with confidence, knowing we have the spirit of God within us. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. And so be confident, not in who you are. This isn't pop psychology self-confidence. This is confidence in the fact that the creator of heaven and earth lives in you and that he chose to put you in that moment and that even though it might feel like you don't know what to do or what to say, he's with you and he will move and he will accomplish what he intends to accomplish at that moment. So because of the, access, the resources that we have access to through the redemption of Jesus, be confident where God chooses to put you. And lastly, in relation to the security of our future with God, let your inheritance define your day tomorrow. Don't let the experience that you go through tomorrow define the day. Don't let what feels like failure or loss or injustice be the defining moment because I promise you that injustice and pain and suffering in this world is not the last word. You have an inheritance that is unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded to the last day. That moment when we, the saints of God Most High, are ushered into his presence and sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb to enter into eternal joy with him, that moment will trump everything else. So let that inheritance define how you walk through tomorrow. Tomorrow, you can give without getting back. And you can pour yourself out without anybody knowing about it. And you can choose to not defend yourself when you could defend yourself. And you can choose to sacrificially love that person that no one else seems to. And you can care when no one else does. And you can receive injustice and not fight back. Because those moments are not defining moments. They are fleeting moments. Our inheritance, where we're headed... That is what defines everything else. The, uh, it's amazing in the Luke passage that we read where Jesus sets up the Lord's Supper. He says, I have 
eagerly wanted to share this meal with you, which is amazing when you realize that the cross followed that meal. I eagerly awaited to have this meal with you. And then as he's handing out the elements to his disciples, he says, by the way, I'm not going to eat bread like this and I'm not going to drink wine until we are together again. And at that moment, Jesus points his disciples to the wedding feast of the Lamb, that moment when we, the redeemed of the Lord, gather as his bride. And that's going to be a really large head table at that wedding. Like, we're all going to be there. And I guess the, the angels are like the congregation. They have the bad tables. We have the head table with Jesus. That is how we enter into eternity with him, brothers and sisters. That moment should trump everything else that we could possibly go through in this world. And I don't say that lightly, because I know that many of you suffer deeply day in and day out. And I know that we have brothers and sisters around the world who suffer more than we could possibly understand. But Jesus redeemed us. And we have perfect peace with God. And we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And we have a secure future that we are headed to, and nothing can change that. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemies now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. What an amazing thing you have accomplished. And I ask that we would, as we fellowship now, and as we uh, walk through the days that you have ordained for us uh, tomorrow and the day after and the day after, uh, would you be greatly glorified in those moments? Would you help us to rest securely in the relationship that you have purchased for us through Jesus? Would you help us to be confident in the resources you have already given us with the indwelling Holy Spirit? And would you help us to rest in the security of the inheritance that you are bringing us to and to not define tomorrow by what we experience tomorrow, but to define tomorrow in light of the fact that you have redeemed us and we are heading to an amazing wedding feast with you. In your name we pray. Amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.